This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Have you had a nice weekend? Oh, not too bad, mate. Wednesday won, so that's always uh, a bit of a shining point of any weekend. So yeah, can't complain too much. How about you? Uh, yes, long day uh, on Saturday travelling to Swansea uh, to watch Blackburn's 3-0 win there, which we'll, we'll touch on very shortly. Um, nice 17 and a half hour day it was door-to-door. Left my house at 7am and got back at half past 12 after midnight, thanks to the uh, the beauties of, uh, I don't know which train service it was that cocked up, but basically it delayed me by an hour, which wasn't but, fun when, you, when I was already on a very long day. Well, it was in Britain, so what do you expect? No, the actually, British I was rail in services. Cardiff that they cocked up, so it was still Wales, Britain, though, isn't it? But, well, yeah, sorry, it's Britain. Not it's not England. Uh, we know that Britain. British rail isn't the most reliable form of transport in the world. No, it's not. Um, but equally, no chance of driving three and a half hours each way and then doing work when I get in. No chance. So uh, at least I got everything done when I got home and went straight to bed. And then I've had Don't a nice relaxing you. day today and watched Super Sunday mm-hmm. for the Premier League coming back, which has been nice. But of course, nothing on the the EFL, which is obviously our bread and butter, the championship. So I'm looking forward to going through a lot, a lot better, I think, this week in terms of entertainment and talking points. It wasn't, I think it was the lowest, it was the lowest goal scoring uh, opening weekend in the championship's history. Uh, and by championship, I mean second tier history, so not just the championship. Um, whereas this weekend, we've got a lot more talking points, a lot more goals. Looking forward to diving through those with you over the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A big thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit them at cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you check them out. Uh, on today's podcast, of course, we'll be going through all the weekend's action with new league leaders and two five-goal thrillers. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start our weekend roundup with the new league leaders, George, with Blackburn Rovers winning 3-0 at Swansea City, the only team in the Championship as we record this evening with a 100% record. Of course, Watford in action against West Brom uh, on Monday night, so that could change. But Rovers go top of the league. Completely different game plan to what they played against Queen's Park Rangers, where it was high pressing, high intensity, which obviously has been the the theme of preseason and under Yondal Thomason. Completely different um, outlook this time. This time they tried to sit deep, play with a low block and and set traps to really hurt Swansea. And and you saw that throughout the game. I have to say, Swansea started the game relatively well. They they dominated possession in the opening 20-25 minutes. But as... They started to, you know, they didn't move the ball quick enough. They didn't get anywhere. Carl Norton must have had more touches of the ball than anyone as the the central centre-back uh, in that back three. But they just didn't move the ball quick enough. And from the 20th minute, you could sense the crowd really starting to get on their backs, which is probably a bit of a concern given that it was the first home game of the season. But from that point, mistakes started to creep in and Blackburn's game plan worked to a T. And then you saw with the way they were, they're sitting deep, men behind ball, but at the right moments, they were pressing and you saw that with the first goal where Ryan Hedges snaps in, wins it off Harry Darling. Lovely composure to cut back inside and, and send Darling for a hot dog, really. Squares it to Smodics, 1-0 on debut. Uh, great finish from him. And 
that goal, the, the finish from Smodic looks a simple one, but the, the more you watch it back, the better a finish it looks. Really calm, really composed, and really clinical from Rovers on the break. I think the thing that underlined this match for me, particularly the first half, was the fact that Swansea had 67% possession at half-time, but 0.07 XG. Didn't create enough chances for a tenth of a goal. In the second half, completely different game. Blackburn were, were comfortable. Swansea had a spell of about 10, 15, probably about 10 minutes after half-time where they started to cause some problems, particularly down Blackburn's left-hand side. So down Pickering's side, uh, Libertador was causing a lot of problems down that side. And Thomason made a really clever switch just as they went 2-0 to bring Teo Edun on. So he moved to a back three, matched Swansea up. Pickering went inside into a left centre-back role, Edun down the left, and it completely nullified them. And then, obviously, this was just after the second goal, which was on the counter-attack. Ryan Hedges, by the way, star man. Brilliant performance. I hope no one is a championship neutral. He's probably not the standout name in this Blackburn team, but he's had a really good start to the season. And you can see why he's a perfect Thomason player. He presses so well. He's intense. He's a smart footballer. He can play from the right. He can play in central areas as a number 10. So he fits this fluid front four that they want to play with. And he was brilliant. Lovely raking ball over the top. Ben Rotendales brings it down, bullies Nathan Wood, if we're being completely honest, shrugs him aside. And you think he's slightly overrun it, but it's a lovely dink finish over Fisher for 2-0. And from that point, Rovers were, were comfortable. Swansea created very little. Uh, as I say, they had a, a brief spell at 1-0 where Kaminsky had to make a good save from Joel Perot. And there was a few dangerous crosses that were well defended, one particularly by Scott Wharton that was well cleared. But once that second goal went in and, and Rovers made that tactical change, they dominated. They, they were so comfortable. Swansea still had a lot of the ball, but they just didn't do anything with it. Um, and I thought Blackburn were brilliant. The, the biggest bonus for me is how quickly this team adapted to a new tactical game plan. Because all pre-season, it's been high pressing, high intensity, getting the opponent's face, give them no time. Complete, didn't rip it up because they still pressed at the right moment, but sat back, low block, frustrate the opponents and to work on that within a week and to get it bang on the money a new tactical plan with a new coach and a new team I think it just shows how well coached this Blackburn Rovers team is at the minute and you've got to put a lot of credit to the players for for adapting and for being able to carry out those instructions but for Thomason for clearly being able to set out clear instructions on what he wants because the players they, they did it to a T, and this is not a manager that's been with this group for, for years, is it? So you've got to put a lot of credit in that for that. As I say, Hedge is the standout player. Daniel Ayala, again, very impressive at the back. If he can stay fit, he'll be a, a really, really good player for Blackburn this season with, with his experience in what is a young team. And they just look a really well-coached team, and, and they really did a number on Swansea at the weekend. Yeah, where to start? I mean, obviously, you, you were there, you know far more about the performance than I did. But from what I saw, they were very, very good. And it just goes to show, really, what, what more could you ask for? Two games, six points, four goals scored, two clean sheets. It's the it's the perfect start. It's probably something beyond John Dahl Thomason's dreams, really, that he would have expected from the opening two games. But you've got to give credit to them. They, they set up with the game plan, as you said, down, down in Wales, and it worked to perfection. Hedges obviously instrumental in the opening two goals in teeing up uh, Smonix and Brereton and Diaz. And like you said, the tactic, tactical approach just worked to perfection. Obviously, Swansea dominating proceedings with the ball for long spells, but it just goes to show not always having possession means that you're going to win football matches. And this is a perfect case. Obviously, Swansea are never going to change that style. It's the way that they've played for years. But on this occasion, Blackburn sussed it out and it worked to, to perfection for them. Um, obviously, starting at point one, Sammy Smodix. 
I think it's a really, really good signing. I always rated him when he was at Colchester United several years ago. He always was a player that I thought could cut it at championship level, did a decent job at Peterborough last season. And as soon as I saw that this was, you know, going to get over the line, I thought Blackburn have got a good number 10 in Bradley Dyke, but obviously injury issues, they can't rely on him for a full season, which is unfortunate because we know he's a great player when he's fit. But in Smonix, it's just given them something a little bit different, hasn't it? Somebody that, you know, is is fully fit off and never really out with injury issues and to score within 40 minutes of your debut, it's the dream start. But like you said, a lot of the credit ought to be given to Ryan Hedges for that goal, pressing the Swansea back line, picking the pocket and putting on the pass for, for the goal. And then Brereton Diaz, obviously, lovely crisp finish with a second. He's up and running for the season. And then obviously Lewis Travis, two and two for him. Walton and I are at the back, rock solid. Callum Britton, good at right back. It just almost feels that already Blackburn have got each position perfect for the way that they want to play. It's just such an easy formation. You know, when you when you look at some starting 11s and you wonder where where are they going to play, you look at that Blackburn team and you think, yep, right back, two centre-halves, left back, two holding, 4-2-3-1, it works. And John Dahl Thomason, like you say, he's obviously been in the door less than five minutes, so to speak, and already he's been able to, to go with two very different tactical approaches and his players have pulled them off to perfection. So, a lot to like about Blackburn early doors and that's what it is. It is early doors, but if you can't get encouraged and, and excited after six points or you're in two games, when can you get excited? I think, obviously, going to a team like Swansea, they're not a team that, you know, are going to be expected to compete for the title this season, so to speak, but they are expected, you know, to, to mount a playoff push. It's not an easy place to go. So Blackburn, in a sense, you would think realistically both sides have probably got similar ambitions this season in going for a playoff place. So they've arguably, you know, beaten one of their rivals early doors and laid down a marker. The next big test, obviously, will come next weekend. West Bromwich Albion at home. That won't be an easy one. That'll kind of, you know, be the first big assignment for Yondal Thomason. But obviously, we're recording this Sunday. We don't know what sort of mood West Brom are going to be in. There might be high after a win over Watford or really down after a defeat to them or maybe a draw. We'll see. But you know, two games in, four goals scored, two clean sheets, top of the league. What more could you ask for? Really encouraging start. Still think they need one or two more bodies, you know, just to add a little bit of depth in places. But for me, Blackburn, all of a sudden, after we know, obviously, waited an age for a manager and waited an age for signings, things look pretty good from where I'm sitting. And let's not forget as well, just lastly, look at the players they had on the bench yesterday. Tyrese Dolan, Bradley Dyke, young Jack Bale, young Tyler Morton. I was going to no, touch it's not on, a bad, on the It's not a bad bench. No, it's some touch on the good options. Well. They, they made a really good impact. Dolan came on and looked really bright. And, and you saw for the third goal, it was his driving run. And then Travis finishing it off, of course. Um, I'd say I thought Edun did really well when he came on. Dylan Marconda can't even get on the bench. who They signed for, for half a million pounds from, from Tottenham in, in January. He played for the 20, uh, 21s on Friday night. So the subs are making a really big impact. Just, just quickly on Swansea, I have to say I was very disappointed. I thought... They started quite well and they were the better team in the opening 20 minutes, don't get me wrong, but they just didn't move the ball anywhere quick enough. Like, There's going to be teams that are going to come and sit men behind the ball and you've got to expect that. And They just didn't know what to do really. And then once Blackburn went 1-0 up, there was no real pressure apart from, I'd say, 10 minutes either side where they created a couple of half chances. They didn't create anything and Perot didn't get a kick. Um, he barely knew he was on the pitch. Same for... Uh, Michael Obafemi. I was surprised Patterson was on the bench and Cham started instead and he didn't do anything either. So I thought, um, I thought Manning 
down the left-hand side. Their left wing-back was probably their best player. He caused a few problems in that, that opening 20 minutes, but a bit worried for, not worried for Swansea, but it was a worrying performance because that sort of obstacle is going to come up against them several times and they've got to be able to deal with it better than that if they want to be successful this season. Fully agree with that. I mean, Swansea, big expectations there this year for me to you know push for a playoff place, but one point from the opening two games, one goal scored. It's it's not the ideal start, and it's important, obviously, not to get too too down after two games. But considering they've played Rotherham away, a home game against you know a team that are not expected to be right at the very top end of the league this year, it's, it's it'll be a concerning start, I think, for Russell Martin. But a long way to go. But I think one point from six and one goal, it's uh, it's a little bit concerning, but maybe not. To, not a point too early to go too over the top and worry too much, but they've got to improve and quick. Two five-goal thrillers in the Championship this weekend, George. We're going to start with the game between Queen's Park Rangers and Middlesbrough, where QPR raced into a three-goal lead. I think it's fair to say we've all pointed the finger when we're trying to sort of have a bit of a post-mortem over QPR's collapse at the back end of last season. Chris Willock's absence was, was absolutely crucial as to the reason they tailed off last season. Missed him on the opening day of the season, a game obviously I watched, and they lacked that penetration, that creativity that he brings, and it was just summed up with that goal, wasn't it? Brilliant run, fantastic strength as well to shrug off the defender, and the technique to finish into the top corner, absolutely brilliant. He he is fantastic. If he has a sort of season like last season and can notch up another gear, I think they'll struggle to keep him beyond the summer, and I know that sounds daft, I'm not talking about next summer, but... He's got everything in his locker to be a Premier League player. You know, I feel like he's bulking out a little bit now. You saw that strength to sort of shrug off as he as he burst past the the defender. I think it was Dyke steals perhaps. Um, but for Middlesbrough, a real nightmare for for obviously Zach Steffen for the Jimmy Dunn goal. No foul in there by any stretch of the imagination. Pretty horrific and slight marking for the third goal for Dykes as well. And as I say, after looking quite blunt, QPR against Blackburn. Um, it shows how important Chris Willett's going to be because not only does it ease the burden on chair, but the quality he brings as well. And that goal really summed up what he can bring to this team. It just changes the dynamic entirely. Definitely. And I think quite possibly, you know, Chris Willock, QPR consistently have performed better when he's been in the team. And I think it is becoming the point now where you've got to look at him and think, is this guy one of the most underrated players in the championship? Because I think he is threatening to to pick up that tag at the moment because I worked out some stats on him actually earlier on today, looking at his record. QPR's record when he scores is quite remarkable, really. Since the start of the 2020 21 campaign, he scored in 11 games. QPR have won nine of them and they've drawn two. So it seems to be a bit of a good luck charm. But the goal on Saturday, on Saturday was just, you know, it was a thing of beauty. You can, you can talk about Middlesbrough failing to stop the run and should have picked him up earlier, but you've just got to admire it from a QPR point of view. It was a wonderful goal. And if that was if that was in the Premier League, it would be played over and over again, say on Sky Sports, a match of the day. It was, it was just, you know, it was a work of art, really, wasn't it? It was a stunning effort, a stunning run. And that really is the spot that QPR need, because I think, obviously, since they lost Ebereche Eze, they've, you know, not not almost lacked creative influence, but they've just, obviously, they've heavily missed his presence. But if Willock can stay fit, there's no reason why he can't provide QPR with that thrust moving forward. But, Overall, I mean, Middlesbrough, we we all expect Borough to improve as the, the window goes on. They're going to make more signings. Obviously, there's big questions about a lack of attacking options at the top end of the pitch. We've both tipped them for automatic promotion. 
But they'll be disappointed that they've only taken one point from their opening two games, even though obviously opening game was against West Bromwich Albion, a tough opponent. And QPR, very iffy side. You never know what you're going to get from them. But they were good on Saturday with, with the hoops. They played really, really well. Three goals early on. Could have easily, though, blown it. So that'll be a concern for Michael Beale that they, you know, raced into a 3-0 lead at home and had to set up for a 3-2 win. Not quite uh, what he would have wanted. They'll want to see a little bit more defensive quality and a bit more stability at the back. But I'm sure that'll come with time as they buy into his methods more. But, you know, a win over Middlesbrough in the long run, it's it's probably not going to be a, something to be sniffed at. I can't see many teams, once Borough get up and running, being able, being able to put three past them. I think Borough will become better defensively. Obviously, they lost Daryl Lennihan late on at the weekend due to a, a red card. So, They've lost a key component in that back line already for a few games. But, you know, for QPR, it's three points on the board. They're up and running and, and a really good result, but inspired by Willock. I think the worry for me with Middlesbrough is that this team doesn't look set at all. But with the goals they conceded at the weekend, I would put the Willock one to one side. That's a moment of individual quality yeah. and brilliance. Yeah, you could have got into him. Maybe you should have took the foul in the yellow card. But it's a, a phenomenal strike from that distance. It happens once every blue moon. We know what the XG on those sort of shots are. It happens. The second and the third goals, just ridiculously poor, particularly the third. And there's no real excuse for that, ultimately, is there? Because it's not defensive players. Yes, they would like to sign a left-sided centre-back. I know it's Mark Bowler played in that position ahead of Dale Fry. Well, Dale Fry would play in the middle and uh, someone else on the left. Paddy McNair as well. They were both on the bench. So clearly Wilder wants a left-footer. But they, they just don't look set, do they? They need to get some more deals over the line. I'm surprised they haven't got another striker in because I like I say you see the game against West Brom you can put that down they didn't win that game because they didn't have the strikers signed because they created so many chances at nil nil went one nil up didn't finish the game didn't finish the chances to win the game against QPR I don't think you can put that down to a lack of strikers ultimately it was bad defending which there isn't much excuse for but they just don't look set do they they haven't replaced Tavernier either with a central midfielder albeit Riley McGree stepped into that role quite naturally but they're missing another player for some depth need to sign some strikers Marcus Force obviously getting off the off the uh, off the mark for his new club is really good but they just don't look set they don't look gelled so that will be a concern for Wilder they need some movement in the market yeah I agree with that fully agree with that and you almost feel like maybe Middlesbrough the team that you know have still got the most work to do to meet their expectations this year and we said it last week didn't we and quite possibly on the pre-season episode that we did saying that if Middlesbrough, the current state of the squad as it is, didn't have Chris Wilder in the dugout, you wouldn't associate this team with, you know, going for automatic promotion. So it is quite a bit of pressure on his shoulders, to be fair, to try and get something out of this team. But maybe in the opening two games, they have shown that, you know, they, they do need quite a few more bodies to come through the door. But having said that, I thought the first half against West Brom last weekend, they looked really, really good. They played some nice stuff got on the front foot and dictated the game. But obviously, since then, it's it's kind of been a little bit downhill. So, they've got a lot of work to do. I still think plenty more signings will come through the door, particularly they need bodies up front. But you never know now. Do they, do they, do they need to look at the more reinforcements at the back? It could be possible. Early days, but I think Borough would be disappointed with the start they've had. Yeah, probably the most entertaining game of the weekend, George, in terms of the back and forth nature of it, was Bristol City 2, Sunderland 3, a first win back in the championship for the Black Cats for Sunderland and Alex Neal. Obviously the story is pretty much Ellis Sims in this one. First goal pouncing on a on very poor play I have to say from Cal Naismith trying to play out from the back for the first goal. But he was a real live wire, wasn't he, Sims? Signed on loan from Everton. 
really highly rated, did well for Blackpool when they got promoted, played on loan at Hearts in the Scottish Premier League last year. And he's got all the attributes you need and all the raw qualities to be a modern-day number nine. He's got a bit of pace, energy, physicality, athleticism, and he looks like he's going to be a great foil for uh, Ross Stewart up front. Credit to Alex Neal for going bold away from home with two strikers, having played more of a 4-3-3 slash uh, 3-5-2, but with only one striker last weekend against Coventry. I have to say, I thought Alex Pritchard was absolutely brilliant in that number 10 role as well. Um, playing a 3-5-2 with Sirkin as the left centre-back and Jack Clark as a left wing-back does mean that Pritchard can naturally play more centrally and then perhaps when it's a 4-3-3, he doesn't quite have the same freedom and licence to run. I think you saw the pass for, for Ellis Sims' second goal, which was the equaliser. Sensational pass around the corner, first time. Springs uh, Ellis Sims into space, who drives at the defending. It wasn't good defending, which we've come to to we've come to expect from Bristol City. But brilliant pass, brilliant finish. Really like the look of Ellis Sims and Sunderland scoring goals away from home only bodes well. Certainly does, Sunderland. I mean, we both watched the game, didn't we, last weekend against Coventry. In the first half, we said how good they looked. They looked up and at it, energised. Then just had a little bit of a drop-off in the second half, but you've got to credit Coventry for that. I think going to Bristol City, you know, that was going to be a game that could have easily gone either way, obviously. Both sides were hunting for that first win. Bristol City losing at Hull on the opening day. And like you said, it was a game that went back and forth and it was a really entertaining contest by all accounts. But, you know, Sunderland, they found a way and the strikers stepped up, didn't they? Ellie Sims getting a couple. Ross Stewart, who obviously has got big pressure on his shoulders after scoring 25 times last season in League One. And he's up, he's up and running, so that's going to do his confidence the world of good. But like you said, Alex Pritchard was was the architect of this victory for, for Alex Neal's team. And we know what Alex Pritchard's capable of. He's played in the Premier League. He's a season championship player. He is a he is a creative player that you know will make things happen if he's got players on the end of his deliveries, which in Ross Stewart and Sims, it looks like they've got. So I think for Sunderland, four points from the opening two games is you know, a very, very good return against two teams that, you know, not expected to push too high up the league table this season, but have both got expectations of improving on what they did last season. So it's not to be sniffed at for Sunderland. It's a really encouraging start and encouraging couple of results. Sims, like you said, has shown signs of promise in the last few years whenever he's been out on loan from Everton. Obviously, Sunderland, you would argue that it's the biggest test that he's faced so far, but to, to mark it's your first start... with expectations, isn't it? Definitely. To mark your first start with a couple of goals, I mean, what more could you wish for for a young striker going to a new club? So, he's off the mark. Ross Stewart's off the mark. Sunderland are off the mark. Pretty good start, really, for Alex Neal, all things considered. For me, though, still need more bodies through the door. The squad still lacks quite a bit of depth for me. In to be honest with you, probably most areas of the team, to be fair, they are struggling for bodies. So, they've got a bit of work to do before the window shuts. Because you just feel if that, you know, if that squad goes beyond the 1st of September. If injuries start to set in, they could be in a little bit of trouble. But let's focus on the positive. Sunderland have picked up four points in the first two games. First away, winning the first away game. What more could Sunderland fans ask for? Really good start and encouraging to take into the into the coming weeks. Yeah, I think I feel like that with a lot of championship teams where I like the look of the starting eleven. I think they might do well, but depth is a real problem. I think we're going to see a flurry of transfers in terms of Premier League loans, which will really bulk up some of these squads that have yeah. got a settled eleven on paper. But need that depth to really be able to withstand the, the free games in a week and the relentless schedule that is the championship. Bristol City, obviously, just last season, horrific defending cost them. 
they've conceded five goals already this season, albeit the two at Hull were quite unfortunate. Penalty that wasn't deflected shot in the 93rd minute. So a little bit unlucky there, but three goals, so avoidable, quite a lot of them as well, where they're just not attacking the ball. And I have to say, it does concern me a little bit that it's the coaching element. I feel like these this group of defenders should be defending better. And I think Nigel Pearson has obviously, as me and you know only too well, as a legendary centre-back, I'm a bit confused why they aren't better defensively now they've brought better players in as well. I don't really see an excuse for it. And their quality going forward is undeniable. Andy Vyman is clearly establishing himself as one of the best players in the Championship, in my view. He just looks full of confidence. Everything he does has a touch of quality, but it will be continue, continually undermined if they can't defend in open play and, and from set pieces, ultimately. They can't defend football games, then they're not going to win the get, win and get enough points because no matter how many goals they score, they are just putting too much pressure. You can't start every game needing to score three goals to win a to win a game or get a point. And I have to put that down at this point after the transfer windows he's had, I have to put that down to Nigel Pearson and his coaching. So I would level that criticism at him that this group of defenders, they're not all bad players. They should be defending better. And that comes down to organisation and in my opinion, coaching at this point. I would agree with that completely. It's, it's quite strange in a way because if you actually look at Bristol City's results last season, I've got them in front of me now. They had quite a few 3-2 victories. So it just goes to show that they are in that, you know, in that situation where they've got to score a handful just to get three points. And it's just not like you said, it's, it? it isn't. You can't carry on like that. They they concede. I'm just getting it up in front of me now. They conceded 77 times last season. They've conceded five already in the opening two games. So it's not exactly, you know, evidence to suggest that things have changed over the summer. It is a concern and it's got to be ironed out sooner rather than later because it's just going to, for all the good work, as you've said, of Andreas Weiman at the top end of the pitch, who's already got two goals and assists in his first two games, he's threatening to just undo all of his good work and take the limelight away from what he's doing for the good to focus on Bristol City's defensive woes because their defensive, their defensive standards, I mean, last season were just abysmal, weren't they, at times? Compared to Blackpool, who finished one place above them, they finished, They conceded 19 goals more than Blackpool did. So it shows where the problem lies with Bristol City. Because like you say, going forward, they haven't got an issue really in scoring goals. Vyman obviously has been, not, been exceptional. not played in either of the first two yeah. games either. Chris Martin, even though he's getting on his years, he's still as reliable as ever. He's still got a goal in him, we know that. So unless they solve these defensive problems, they're just not going to kick on and make the progress that they should be for, you know, under a manager of Nigel Pearson's quality. Everybody, you know... Whenever, Nigel, whenever a championship job came up in recent years, everybody would jump on the bandwagon of Nigel Pearson's the man to get. He's the one that's going to bring good ties back to your club. And at the minute, I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. The recruitment this summer has been OK. I wouldn't say it's been disastrous, but I wouldn't say it's been anything I, phenomenal. I'd, I'd upgrade it probably slightly on OK. I think it's been quite good. The, the Carl Naismith signing was a good one. I'll give Kane him that, Wilson. obviously. Kane Wilson, Kane Wilson player if, he, if they actually big, played him. Yeah, big step up for him. But obviously, we yet to see it. So, it's obvious already that they're needing defensive reinforcements and things have got to change because you can't be going into, you know, I know we're only two games in saying every game. It's only two games in. I've got to remember that. But five goals in the first two games conceded. It's, it's not a good look, is it? That's the thing. It's And like you said, the, the biggest thing is 
at the other end of the pitch, they've got goals in them. So it's a frustrating thing. They've got to sort sooner rather than later. But, you know, back-to-back defeats, it's it's not ideal. But there's a long, long way to go. Things can be resolved. Things that can be changed. But, you know, you've got to get out of this little rut sooner rather than later. It's not the way you want to start a season, put it that way. Sheffield United 2, Millwall 0. I have to say I quite fancied Millwall to cause some problems here. But, but Sheffield United were just too clinical, quite simply. Took advantage of some really poor mistakes. By the way, Illumin and Dye looks absolutely sensational. He looks like he's bulked up. He's 12 months more experienced. He's quicker. He's stronger. And he looks like a different animal. The way he moves, there were some lovely touches and, and play on the, uh, the obviously, the Monday night game that we, we haven't spoken about because, obviously, it was after we recorded when they lost 1-0 to Watford. Thought he looked really bright there. And in this one as well, he looks like a nightmare to deal with because... He's so quick, he's got good energy, and now he's he's really bulked up and looks like he just looks like a, a complete package. And I have to say, early doors, but I wouldn't bet against him being one of the not the breakout star because last season was his real breakout season, but he'll be a, I think he'll be a contender for young player of the year. I know that's a big statement after two games, but he looks like he, he could be everything Sheffield you need in the in, in the uh the forward positions. Rian Brewster I thought looked really sharp as well. Lovely dancing feet to draw the foul, which earned the penalty, which Norwood missed, of course. But they've got brilliant quality in that team now, and especially after the signings they've made. Uh, you know, on the bench they had James McAtee, who's come in, who's got a sensational record in Premier League two for Man City, very highly rated. Um, Redekadja was on the bench. Billy Sharp was on the bench. Sander Berg looks looked really fit and strong and took his goal really well. And Armedovic getting really good reviews on his debut at right centre back as well. I have to say, I look at that squad, I don't see any holes really. You know, if they keep the, the only holes potentially are can the strikers stay fit? Can Brewster, McBurney, and Sharp stay fit? But if they can, I don't think they need another signing. I think that squad is close to being complete. And I really fancy Sheffield United with what I'm seeing to really push for that top two. I put them third in my uh, 1 to 24s, and I'm not seeing anything when they've got their best 11 out, which I don't think they've had out yet. I don't see anything that, that's going to make me change my mind from the opening two games. They look really good and they disposed of a very good Millwall side, albeit very sloppy mistakes, particularly obviously the one from Charlie Cress, who I'll talk about uh, hero to zero in a couple of weeks. He'll learn from that, the mistake for the, the second goal. But they were clinical United, they were ruthless and they, they put a decent Millwall side to bed pretty comfortably. Several big statements there. I'm going to remember these come back. I was impressed. Well, it... <laughs> It did catch me by surprise, this result, I must admit. And obviously, Millwall had got off to a good start last weekend, beating um, Stoke 2-0. Sheffield United, I watched their game, and obviously we've not spoken since that game at Watford on Monday night because the last week's podcast had already gone up. And I thought the Blades at Watford were very, very poor. I thought they were very underwhelming. I know Watford, you can argue, are a better team than Millwall, got better players at the top end of the pitch. But I thought the United were very uninspiring that evening. They didn't really get going, didn't really get into any sort of rhythm. But how, how but against... that, that starting eleven is nothing like what they want to play. Jebison is not going to be their first choice striker, is he? I know he isn't, but you you would also got seasoned players in that team, you know, like John Fleck, Norwood, who just didn't that evening. They were just really off it. But that game's gone now and they've got the first win on the board and they played really well on Saturday, as you said. And they had a helping hand from some sloppy Millwall errors. But Njai was clinical. Sander Berger took his goal well. And against Millwall on Saturday, it was much better. I mean, uh, Njai took his goal really well, latching on to Fodderingham's long punt upfield. Berger took his goal well. You can argue Millwall obviously gave him a helping hand to sloppy mistakes. But 
you know, United punished them and in, instinctively with, with clever finishes. But I do see your point where you're coming from, where you look at every position, it looks, you know, well well stocked and well strengthened. Just feel that they may be just, I don't know, do they need one more striker that they can rely on to stay fit for the season? That's a big question. And obviously staying fit is a million dollar question. Rian Brewster might play every single game this season. It's it, We're two games in. Billy Sharp, you know, will be as, as reliable as ever. So it's an interesting one for the Blades. I'm not as convinced as you are, if being honest. I think they will be up there, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, knocking on the door of the top two, if I'm being honest. I could be I could be left with egg on my face with that one. Just got to mention as well the signing of James McAtee from Manchester City. Didn't play at the weekend, was on the bench. Really impressed by that addition, I must admit. He's he's made quite a few noises at City in the youngsters last season. Pep Guardiola's given him a couple of runouts for the first team as well. And, you know, that's got to be a sign that's got big potential about it. But the Blades, after what I saw on, on Monday night against Mill, uh, against Millwall, against Watford rather, they certainly um, have improved massively on the training ground over the last few days. And they've put in good good shift. Three points on the board. For Millwall, though, they'll be disappointed. You know, that was a really sloppy performance from them. They never really got going. And ultimately, two errors have cost them dearly. But I think when you look at it, it's never going to be an easy place to go to Bramall Lane. The record under Paul Heckingbottom, by the way, at Bramall Lane is just sensational. It really is. And United's championship record since Paul Heckingbottom took charge at Bramall Lane is just unreal. I'm just getting the stats up now. This is excluding the playoff semi-final defeat to Nottingham Forest. 15 games played, won 11, drawn three, lost one. 12 clean sheets in 15 games at home under Paul Heckingbottom. That is a remarkable return, to be honest. So, if United can stick to those sort of standards, they'll certainly be up there. But, you know, they're up and running, they're off the mark. Onwards and upwards for them. Yeah, absolutely. Really good uh, for Sheffield United. An off day for Millwall, that's for sure. Couple of, we're going to go to the Friday night game. A couple of two ones now to to look at. Uh, Birmingham City two, Huddersfield Town one. Birmingham putting those uh, those preseason predictions to shame with four points from the first six. It it does look to have a good balance. I have to say the team, and we do know with Scott Hogan, if he's a goal scorer, if he's got the sort of the right foil. Um, previously, Jukovic, now Troy Deeney. And if you give him the service, he will score goals. And we saw that with the first one. Lovely cross from Bakuna, who, by all reports, was man of the match. Really good performance from him in that sort of advance of the three central midfielders. Um, he was really good. I thought Placetta looked really good down the left side as left wing back on loan from Norwich City. And um, obviously, I think it's fair to say Lee Nichols should have saved his goal, the second one. But Birmingham looked good and they were creating chances. Uh, Aston Trusty as well on loan from Arsenal. It's like a smart pickup at left centre-back. And I think Birmingham looked really good, to be fair. Um, putting away a team that just looked complete opposite of what we saw last season. Lethargic, lacklustre. Again, another really poor first-half performance. Improved slightly after the break. But the damage is done if you're already 2-0 down. They, they just look devoid of confidence, which is really weird for a team that finished third. Without their manager and the best two key players, it clearly has sat some some belief from the dressing room. And I am worried about Huddersfield, if I'm honest, because they don't they've probably turned in the two most worrying performances, if I'm being completely honest, out of all twenty four teams from what I've seen. And I watched the game obviously on the Friday night at Burnley, seeing the extended highlights, of course, from the Friday night game as well. So credit to Birmingham. Played well, took the chances. I think they've got 
potentially the makings of a good squad. I say it's, it's square pegs in square holes, which is what I like. I, like, I look at the team and it, it's quite aesthetically pleasing, players in the right position. I think Hogan will benefit from having someone like Dini next to him, like he did when he had Dukovic up front, get quality delivery into him from the, the two wing-backs, from Bakuna when he drifts into those wide spaces. He will score some goals. Huddersfield, really concerned about them, if I'm being honest, based on the first two performances. Just just not good enough, really. Yeah, they've uh, they've started slowly, haven't they? Very, very slowly. I mean, playing Burnley in the first game was never going to be easy. Birmingham away, you would have looked at that and thought, it's an opportunity to get three points on the board, get up and running. But Birmingham have proven, despite all of the off-field complications, that they're not just going to roll over and die this season. Four points from their first two games. They'll be very, very satisfied with that, I would have thought, especially considering the away game. And, and to be fair, the home game as well, obviously, against two sides that finished in the playoffs last season. So, for Birmingham, it's almost as though John Eustace may have walked into that dressing room and said, look, lads, we know what's going off upstairs. We can't control that. We can control matters on the pitch. Yet, let's use that to our advantage as motivation and prove the doubt is wrong. And it's important, obviously, not to get too carried away after two games, as it isn't with any team, but Birmingham, you know, they've got to take a crumb of comfort from the start that they've had. It's a solid return. It put them top of the table for a few hours on Friday night. Obviously, table doesn't mean anything at this stage, but it's always good to look at for any for any supporter of any team when your team's top of the table. And, you know, like you said, they they produced some good stuff in the first half against Huddersfield on Friday night. Obviously, Hogan got up and running. The lad on loan from Norwich got his goal. Question about Lee Nichols for the goalkeeper for that one as well. It must be said, I thought, Definitely. really, really poor for his usual standards. Huddersfield improved after the break. They did try and obviously up the ante a little bit. They had to, 2-0 down. Danny Ward got a, got a goal and, you know, they had a little knock on the door towards the end trying to get something out of it. But it was to no avail. And for Danny Schofield, I mean, even though obviously he'll be relishing this opportunity to get a job in management for the first time, it almost feels like he's been thrown in at the deep end and he's going to, you know, be at the forefront of a lot of angry fans if this carries on. Because if Huddersfield, you know, hadn't finished third last season and lost in the playoff final, there wouldn't be too much pressure on his shoulders. But obviously there is now. And, you know, losing your two best players, losing your manager, like I said, losing Corbran was bigger than losing O'Brien for me. That was Huddersfield's biggest asset by a country mile. And it's already showing. And I know I said it last week and I've said already that it's important not to make too many assumptions after a couple of games. But you do fear, potentially, could it be a really long season for Huddersfield this year? Could they do what Barnsley did last season after what they achieved the year before and just slide down the table dramatically? So I'm a little bit worried for Huddersfield, I must admit. They've, they've not impressed me in either their opening two games. Didn't see enough at all against Burnley to suggest that they're going to, you know, really lay a glove on anybody almost. The Burnley game was really tough watching and tough viewing, but, you know, long way to go, but, don't know, just got a sneaky feeling that it could be a long season for the Terriers this year. Yeah, really poor performance, if we're being completely honest. Reading, they turned in a much better display, though. They beat Cardiff City 2-1 at the carleasing.com stadium. Um, good spirit to come from behind as well, it's worth noting, because very early goal from Callum O'Dowder could have made things go a little bit toxic. have to say, we, we've Bashed Joe Lumley quite a lot. Really good save as well to, to keep out O'Dowd to, to make it 2-0, which was important in the, the grand schemes of the game. And then, of course, we know that Reading do, in fairness, it's not a great squad, but they have got quality in attacking areas with Ajaria, Zhao when he's fit, um, and Tom Ince, who was, who was man of the match in this game, rolled back the years, really, as 
someone who was always a top-end championship player slash low-end Premier League player, but really lost his way in the last couple of years. Now back by his dad, back at Reading, and really good composure for the first goal to first anticipate the the sort of flick on and the opportunity, go around the goalkeeper, win the penalty, and then a sensational strike for 2-1 um, to stick it in the top corner to ultimately win the point. So we know Tomins has got quality. I say he was a big success in the championship at Derby and uh, previously at Blackpool as well. He did really well, struggled massively at Stoke. And even in loan spells, it didn't look brilliant. But if he can get him back to playing somewhere near his best, they'll have another really good attacking weapon. So we need to see that consistency from him. But ultimately, he could be someone that can win some games for him. And he certainly was the match winner on Saturday. Definitely. He's a flair player, isn't he? He's a confidence player. You know, if you, like you said, if you can get the best out of him, you've got a really good championship footballer there. And I remember one season, I can't remember what year it was, I want to say 20. 12, 13 or 13, 14, when he was absolutely electric at Blackpool. The numbers he produced were outstanding. Obviously, he was a lot younger back then and things change, players change and things like that. But he is a good player on his day at this level. He is a really talented boy and his goal at the weekend proved that. But if you looked at Reading's starting lineup on Saturday, they actually broke it down almost player for player. It's not a bad team. On paper, it is not a bad side. There's a lot of experience in there few youngsters obviously littered in there, which you need with any team really. But when you look at the likes of Jeff Hendrick, Andy Yeardom, Ajaria, Shane Long, they've been around the block. They, they know what it takes to play in this league. And So, yeah, I mean, you look at that squad and there is good depth. Good depth. There is good quality to it, position for position. And, you know, like I said with Tom Ince, if you get the best out of him, you've got a really talented individual there that can make things happen. And, you know, with his with his dad being the manager, he'll put an arm around the shoulder and have a quiet word, probably more of a quiet word than him than he would with any of other of his players, and just say, look, son, everybody knows what you're capable of and go out there and prove it. And his goal at the weekend proved exactly that. So, you know, Reading after a bit of a, a lacklustre start at Blackpool last weekend, losing 1-0. They're up and running. They're off the mark. The biggest thing for them, they've ended their goal drought. They're on a run of four games without a goal, dating back to last season before the summer break. So they've managed to end that little bit of a barren run. So they'll be pleased. They're up and running. And you never know, could they, a bit like Birmingham, could they use the outside noise of ultimately saying that they're going to be relegated to their to their effect to drive them on and to jeer them on? But put it this way, with Cardiff, if you'd have told them that they were going to take three points in their opening two games, you would have backed them to beat Reading and lose to Norwich. So they probably would have took that, to be fair, three points in their first two matches. But they just would have expected it the other way around us. But as we know, the Championship, it's a funny old game. And just a word on Shane Long as well. What were the odds? His last goal in Brennan Colours, a penalty against Cardiff City. Don't you just love football? What was the gap between the two goals? Oof. 11 years, I want to say. I assume you knew that based on the fact that you knew that it was Cardiff. I assume that that was... It was Cardiff. I'm trying to think. Was it 2011 when they beat Cardiff in the playoffs semi finals and lost to Swansea? Quite possibly. It was. It was May 2011. So, what were the odds of that happening? And that was a penalty as well. Very good. Uh, last one for the weekend. Stoke City 2, Blackpool 0. Um, Stoke better than they were, obviously, last weekend in defeat at Millwall. More aggressive. I think the, the wing-backs got a lot higher, which was quite clearly very important for them if they're going to try and pin teams in and dominate. And you saw that with the first goal 
Josh Tynum, great delivery for both goals in Venice, but for the first one, lovely cross. And then it was Harry Clark on loan from Arsenal, the, the right wing back coming in with a header at the back post. And then another really, really good cross from uh, Josh Tynum to pick out Jacob Brown, who I'm a big fan of, was surprised he didn't get, a, get the nod on opening day, recalled to the team, opens his account for the season with 15 minutes left to go. And that sort of killed the game. I thought Blackpool looked all right in, in, in periods, in spells. But I think defending, obviously, from the, those wide areas didn't shut down Tynum quick enough. And clearly, Tynum's going to be a really good outlet for um, Stoke. He's someone that, that had a bit of a breakthrough season last year, really established himself as a, as a quality player down that left channel. And if he's going to put in deliveries like that, you'd imagine Jacob Brown and Dwight Gale will, will, will score a hatful, really. Yeah, that's the thing with Stoke, isn't it? Going forward, you know, they've got very good options. And they have. And obviously, the opening weekend, they were undone from two set two set pieces. And they're not going to be the last team to be undone by Millwall set pieces this season. So, I think Michael O'Neill, realistically, I think he can take quite a bit of positivity from the opening two games. They've not conceded from open play. That's got to count for something. And like you said, in Jacob Brown, back in the team, they've got a source of goals. He really kicked on last season. And, you know, he's got the number nine shirt now, I believe. He, he's got the opportunity to, you know, spearhead that Stoke team and become the, the leading light. And alongside him, he's got somebody like Dwight Gale, who knows the championship like the back of his hand. Tymon obviously popped up with a couple of assists at the weekend. He could, you know, be an unexpected creative uh, influx this season. So you would argue that Stoke, even though they, for me, still need a few more bodies before the window closes. I do think they need a little bit more. That the building blocks are in place for them to kick on this season and improve. As for Blackpool, bit of a lacklustre performance from what I saw. They just lack that spark. They need some firepower for me. They look very Even reliant on Josh Bowler, don't they? They do. They, 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 there's too much of a dependency on him. And obviously last season, Gary Medine did well. Shane Lavery, he did okay. But they need more for me. They need somebody who can ease that burden on Josh Bowler. Obviously, Charlie Patino's coming on loan from Arsenal. Luis Fiorini's coming on loan from Manchester City. So they've brought in a couple of players there that you know have, have got attacking ability and, and ability to drive from midfield. Theo Corbinu, obviously on loan from Wolves. He's you know facing a big few months. We'll want to go to the World Cup with Canada. There's no doubt in his potential. He's just got to try and prove himself at this level. So. There's certainly potential within the Blackpool squad, but it's a lot of youngsters that they've brought in, you know, that are not overly familiar with the championship. So at the minute, you, you're very right. There is a lot of pressure on Josh Bowler to make things happen. So Mike Lappleton... One year left on his deal as well. Transfer yeah, window ticket. interested. I would be worried if he went and Corbin, who was the replacement. Because he's just yeah. not proven. I think he's got talent, Corbin, who, but... He didn't. Oh, I wouldn't really say established himself at League One level with the two loans he had no, at Sheffield Wednesday and MK Dons. So no, he was hit and miss. Very team. hit and miss, Theo Corbin. Who he's he's got ability about him. That's certainly not in question. There's certainly a player with big potential in there, but you just question whether obviously his age can he produce the consistency and match the demand that the championship requires, particularly physically. I would argue. So. Early days for Blackpool, but they've got three points on their opening two games. It's not the worst start in the world, but they've certainly got a lot of work to do to improve. And like Huddersfield, over the summer, they lost their biggest asset in the manager, so you're bound to see a difference. But one way to go, as there is for every side, but you you, you know damn well that our Blackpool team, they'll, they'll have a different look to it come, come the end of the transfer window. 
But hopefully for them, it will still include Josh Bowler because if he goes, that they could be in trouble. I think Blackpool fans would rather the, the squad looks exactly the same if it means Bowler's there rather than... Probably, probably so. If I'm being completely honest. Uh, three draws mm. in the Championship with uh, Coventry's game against Rotherham getting postponed because the pitch is in a, an absolute mess, which is quite <laughs> ridiculous given it's the first home game of the season. Obviously, they rent their stadium with uh, from Wasps, the rugby team that own it. So the pitch was an absolute state and unfortunately the game got called off. I would not be happy if I was Rotherham. I don't really know whose fault it is. It's not really Coventry's because it's they rent neither, the stadium. Neither club is to blame. I wouldn't be happy if I was Rotherham ultimately, uh, if I'm being honest. But mm, definitely three not. games that uh, did take place and the, the draws, Norwich won, Wigan won, which was the early game on Saturday. I was I thought... I thought Norwich were really sloppy, really wide open, really sloppy pass from Gibson, which obviously seized upon by uh, Will Keane. McLean slotted in, really good finishing fairness through the legs of Krull. And they had other big chances on the on the counter-attack, uh, Wigan, to, to potentially double that lead. And had, you know, if, if Norwich were playing at Watford and they leave those sort of spaces on the break and give the ball away so carelessly, they will get punished. So I've not been impressed with Norwich at all in the opening two games. But Wigan did well. I think they definitely deserved a point. Obviously, the goal Norwich scored was nice, nice finish, good work, good move, worked across the pitch and finished off by Aarons. Um, hit the bar with Pookie, so they might feel like that they had the chances, but I think Wigan deserved a point, if I'm being honest. And Norwich have got to tighten up in transition, or they will get hurt by the better teams in the Championship. Burnley won, Luton won. Um, Burnley were really impressive last week, but quite a slow first half by all accounts at Turf Moor. Dan Potts put Luton ahead with a, a you know quite a scrappy goal. Burnley were better off the break, but it's quite clear they need some more game changers off the bench. Scott Twines had an injury hit pre-season. He wasn't involved at all after being on the bench against Huddersfield. Um, Manuel Benson looks looks very lively. He's come in this week uh, as a new signing from Royal Antwerp in Belgium, which, of course, Vincent Company is, knows all about that division. He looked lively and caused some problems, but probably a point, again, that Luton deserved in the final game. Preston nil, Hull nil. Um, Preston just missing that killer instinct, that that striker. 2.11 XG created. No goal scored in either of their two games. Relying on Troy Parrott to make the step up. You know, he did well at MK Dons. Obviously struggled in his first loan at Millwall. So it remains to be seen whether he's going to make that step up. And, and Emil Reese equally, you would say the 20 he hit last season was perhaps the outlier of his career so far. And without someone else to take away some of that burden, can he do that again? They need more goals across the pitch because, for me, they've got three goal scorers ultimately or three goal threats: Parrot, Reese, and Daniel Johnson. And, and most of his are penalties, if we're being fair. So they need more goals from across the pitch, don't they? They certainly do because, as proven with two clean sheets at the other end, they look pretty solid. I mean, they've got a good goalkeeper in in Freddie Woodburn. The base of the back four is there, so it is just a case of finding somebody else that can assist at the other end of the pitch because you do feel that this year Preston like with several other teams will be looking to move from the middle of the pack and knock on the door of the playoffs I do think they've got it in them with the you know a little bit more creativity and flair at the other end because defensively they're, they're looking pretty sound early doors so I'm I'm sure they'll get something obviously losing Cameron Archer was always going to be a huge loss it would be for any club but obviously when he had such an impact last season it was going to be going to be a move that was very sorely missed for Preston. But like you said, Reese was that last season a bit of a flash in the pan? Possibly. We will see. Time will tell. But it's too early to, you know, to write him off just because he's not scored in the opening two. Parrott should get goals. He'll be looking to 
really kick on this season and prove himself at Championship level for the first time. So, you know, there's a reason to be optimistic for Preston. They just need some more bodies through the door. But, you know, two clean sheets in the first two games. I'm sure Ryan Lowe would have rather say won one and lost one to get an extra point on the board. But you can't argue with the facts. They're not conceded. So that's something that, they, you know, they can build on moving forward. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Going to round off this week's podcast, of course, with our shocks and bankers for the upcoming weekend. George, what are you going for? found it difficult this week, being honest. I don't think there's any fix that you look at and think that's nailed on to go one way or another. So I'm going to kind of guess these a little bit. But in terms of a banker, I'm going to go, I'm going to look at Saturday's games. And I'm, I'm going to go for Millwall at home to Coventry. Just think Millwall, even though they lost at the weekend, they're such a good side at home. They are, you know, the specialists of finding a way to win at home, whether it be by a set piece or whatever. So for a banker, I'm going to go for Millwall at home to Coventry. For a shock, again, really, really difficult, to be honest with you. But honestly, this has been hard. But I'm going to go for Birmingham to win away at Cardiff in the early kickoff on Saturday. I think some Birmingham fans would argue that's not a shock. Well, I, wouldn't. I wouldn't, just to be clear, so you can't have it. They're away from home. Cardiff won their first home game against Norwich. I mean, I think there's substance to it. Obviously, Birmingham have got more points on the board, but only by one. I'm going to go for it. If I get some flack, I get some flack. To be fair, you you went for Blackpool. Or was it me? No, you went for Millwall to win at Sheffield United. and They won their first game, haven't they? Yeah, well, I had said Millwall so. would get something at Sheffield United, is what I said, to be exact. Well, that was wrong. I'm prepared to take the risk and be bullied. Yeah, we'll see um, what happens. I think it's fine. Uh, I just think some Birmingham fans might say otherwise. Um, for my shock, I'm going for Hull to beat Norwich. Um, Hull have looked okay. I don't. I, I don't feel as strongly about them doing well as quite a lot of people seem to do. Albeit they're kind of one of those teams that we don't. They're probably the hardest team to predict because we don't really know how the new players are going to settle in, how the new signings will go. But I think Norwich have looked really poor, if I'm being honest, and I think Hull. Backed by a good crowd, or a, a certainly a buoyant crowd at the moment, you know, more attendance than you would expect normally. There's a good feeling around Hull, ultimately, one way or the other, and I think Norwich, probably the opposite, if I'm being completely fair. So, Hull to beat Norwich, I can definitely see, so that's going to be my shot. And my bank is going to be Luton to beat Preston at Kenilworth Road. Like what I've seen from Luton in the opening two games, albeit they've not won either of them. They were always a team last season built on fine margins, and I think that's going to be pretty similar this season, and don't forget, they were, what, 15th on New Year's Day or in around that, they were in the bottom half of the table. So if they take a little bit to click, then that's okay. But early signs to me is they're going to be just as competitive as last season. I predict them to finish sixth. I don't feel concerned about that prediction already, although we're only two games in. And I think they will be a Preston side that's been pretty blunt in front of goal, albeit look good defensively. So I'm going to go for Luton to beat Preston as my banker and my shock will be Hull to beat Norwich City. And that marks the end of this week's episode of the Championship Chat podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from for the latest episode every single week. And make sure you're also following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChamChatPod24. A huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure and go and check them out for any of your business needs. And thank you for listening once again. We'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.